All right. Hey, folks. So we are back for part two of the October Q&A in early November. And I'm going to get straight on to it. I'm going to try and get through as many questions as I can over the next half an hour. So first question is from I Just Lift, who's a client of mine. And he's got quite a long question here. So I'm just going to abbreviate it and give you my opinion on things. So he says, there's a lot of talk about how five to 10 reps is the most optimal and how higher reps can really be fatiguing. Wait, that's the basis of the question. Apparently there was some influencer who made that comment recently. And uh, I thought I would discuss that. Now, I think part of the issue is with stuff like this, part of the issue is that science has become weaponized in fitness and it's on both sides. So on the one hand, you have the evidence-based practitioners who basically say, look, science is king, science is God, and end every argument with the classic sort of science bitch kind of comments. There are some guys who are quite prominent in the evidence-based space who will have that very aggressive attitude and almost use science as a weapon to shame people if they don't actually understand. Now, conversely, on the other side of that, there are also people who will get very angry and very passionate and very upset about a conclusion which doesn't fit their bias from science. And then they'll go on and start to get all crazy about it. And a very good example of that was just recently, we had a paper from Eric Trexler and Eric Helms and a couple of other guys to do with proximity to failure. And a lot of people are getting very outraged about that. But it's also clear that those people aren't actually reading the paper. Now, the study, it's to do with comparing training to failure versus not and proximity to failure, that kind of stuff. Now that's been misinterpreted by people to say that science is telling you to train like a pussy. But I do wonder if people who are getting very angry and very outraged by this have actually read the paper because I have the paper in front of me right here. It was, it's free to access. You can read it for yourself. And actually the paper makes a lot of sense. Let, let me read out some conclusions from that since we're talking about the role of science. So. First thing here, it says resistance training performed to failure is advantageous versus not training to failure for hypertrophy. Okay. Let me just repeat that for a second, just so you guys in the back here heard what I said there. I'm literally just reading a free to access study. It says seen so far on the internet about this study. What have you heard? Have you heard that? Oh, science is telling you to train like a pussy science. Just work hard. What did that sentence just say? I read it out and it says quite clearly, it's the first sentence in the conclusion. It says quite clearly that going to failure is better for hypertrophy than not going to failure. And then it goes on to say, <clears throat> second point, higher velocity loss thresholds and thus theoretically closer proximity to failure elicit greater muscle hypertrophy. Basically what that's saying is when you get to that grindy portion of the rep where everything slows down, it's saying that's better for growth. So what are people getting angry about? What are people getting upset about? What are people blaming science for? Because it, it seems to me that I read the comments under Brad Schoenfeld's paper, and it seems to me that a lot of the comments are trying to make out the paper has said, you shouldn't train to failure. I'm looking, I'm literally looking at the paper right now and it's saying it's advantageous. And what else are we saying do? So basically what it's saying is, Train to failure is definitely advantageous, but they're saying that there's 
some more neuromuscular fatigue associated with going right to failure. There's like real grindy reps. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look up Jeffrey Veritas Cofield's Instagram. He does it every day. But you know, there's reps where you really grind to a halt like those, like rather than doing those, all this is saying is while they do elicit more growth, maybe you could just do more volume. So keep that one last rep in the tank, that one last one, which is going to just burn you out and just do more of those. <laughs> now you tell me, you guys, please feel free to correct me on this. What have you heard people get outraged about recently about this paper? Because it seems to me that people are getting outraged who haven't actually read the paper. And that is, it's, do you remember when you were at school and uh, somebody would come up to you and say, oh, John called you an idiot. And you walk up to John and go, Hey, John, where's the smoke? And John's like, I didn't say anything to you. And you're like, oh, okay. And so you realize the middleman is just making up lies, <laughs> getting very angry about it. It's like that. In this example, science has said one thing, people have attributed something else to it. And now they're getting very angry and upset. That's 2022 people. I don't know. And I, I suspect this question here is probably very similar. I think somebody is just misinterpreting science. Perhaps they've not read it properly. Perhaps they've not read it. And so they're reading what they want to read and they're getting very angry and upset about it, which is inherently quite amusing. But uh, I think it's not great content, but there you go. So my answer to that question would be with regards to the five to 10 rep range, I don't think it's any better, or any worse. I think ultimately what the science is very clear on. And again, this is not a science channel, but I stopped talking about science a long time ago, but what does annoy me is when people misinterpret science and then get very angry about <laughs> their own conclusions, which are not in the study, I guess what's happening here with this guy, whoever he is, he's misinterpreted some research and he's getting very angry about it. But the research that I've read indicates that we should all experiment with a variety of different rep ranges because we are probably going to have some areas of our body which respond better to low reps and high reps and blah, blah, blah. So there's a decent broad range, but we should try and find what works best for us in that range. So maybe this guy is a big, strong dude who responds well to five to 10 reps. Great. Good. For, but is that a golden rule for everyone? Eh, I don't know. I think he's probably just trying to see stuff that's not there. There you go. It's, it's funny. A lot of guys who really dislike science seem to talk about it a lot. And I just think if you, if you're not that great at reading research, then maybe just don't bother addressing it. Okay. So next question by Amandap1222 says, how do you go about troubleshooting why progress is stalling? Okay. I got sick a while ago with a stomach virus and had to lower the weight when I've been back to lifting. It has been months and on some lifts, I'm still not back to where I was before getting sick. Lots of things. I'm indeed a very broad question. I think you're going to have to talk about the routine, how close to failure you're training, how much volume you're doing, whether you're gaining weight again, there's so much detail missing there. It's very hard to comment. So I'll leave that one there. Okay. Next question was from Ty spirit. Hi Faz. You mentioned in the previous video of how you wake up in the middle of the night and are wide awake. How did you address that given the importance of sleep in recovery? I have melatonin. Okay, cool. So yeah, I think I found with that, it was a hydration issue. I find that I lacked electrolytes. So essentially 
my body wasn't really holding on to the water that I was drinking. Just I, for what worked for me was to increase my electrolytes, have a bit of salt towards the end of the day. Nothing crazy, nothing excessive, but a total salt intake is probably, I think a gram or two, it's quite low, but uh, it was enough just to stave me throughout the night. And then also getting to bed earlier helps me quite a lot. Inconsistent bedtimes tend to play a lot of havoc with your sleep-wake cycle. So try and prioritize a very good, consistent sleep routine. The body really thrives on consistency, whether that's in dietary intake or whether that's in sleep. So really hammer down a consistent sleep schedule. For example, something like this, maybe have a shower, be ready for bed by say nine o'clock, spend about an half an hour to an hour in bed, maybe reading a book. I have some blue light blockers. I have a Kindle, which is non-glare. So I'm currently reading about English history. It's quite fun. <laughs> and uh, I, that takes me about half an hour or so, and then go to sleep. So it's a fairly consistent routine, but I think consistency is super important. So that helps. Okay. So I think that is all the questions from Instagram. Now I'm going to go over to, oh, there's one more. Bash, who's a friend of mine says, hi Faz, on last month's Q&A, you mentioned South Asians storing additional internal fat. Anecdotally, when I've dieted, I felt I've had to diet extra hard to see abs. Yeah. Bash is a friend of mine from my hometown. He's also a pretty big dude. Yeah. What would your advice to South Asian men be to diet harder or longer to get abs? Yeah, it's one of those things, Bash. Ultimately, when you're shredded, when you're very lean, there's no more fat on you, really. So the solution really is just to diet for longer. Diet harder, yeah, but just to diet for longer. And so you will end up at whatever weight you're going to end up anyway. I think you ended up at about 78, 80, something like that, which is pretty good. That's pretty big. I think you're about there. Bear in mind, I competed at 80. So if you're lean at 75, 77, 78, whatever you were, that's pretty good going. So yeah, ultimately we're, we all need to just strip the body fat. I think the comments about the South Asian men, the general rule, not all of them, but as a general rule is that they typically hold more ectopic fat. So it's more a case of how do you, how lean do you stay for the majority of the year to not initiate problems when you're cutting everyone, whether you're white, black, brown, whatever you are, right? Everyone has to get down and lean. Everyone does. Everyone has to get the body fat off. It's more a case of preventing possible poor health for the majority of the year. I think for the majority of the year, anyone who's walking around with a lot of visible belly fat and fat, not loose skin, but actual body fat is probably not doing the best thing for their health in the long term. And that's something to address. Yeah. And for some people, they may end up being quite small, but it's just because they lack muscle mass. Whereas Bash, he's well built, he's big, he's stacked. And so leaning down for him meant he was lean at about 78, 80 kilos, I think. Please correct me in the comments if I'm wrong there, Bash. But I think it was about there where you ended up. But yeah, I mean, if you need to end up at 60 kilos to get shredded, to get in stage shape, bear in mind, you probably will have to starve yourself to get down there because that means you don't have very much muscle mass and you're trying to get shredded. Everybody has to starve themselves to get absolutely shredded. That is the point. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody happily goes into 7% body fat. That just doesn't work that way for anyone. It doesn't matter if you're 55 kilos or if you're 80 kilos, or if you're a pro bodybuilder, they all have to severely restrict food. So hopefully that kind of addresses that question. Now we've got plenty of time. So I'm going to go over to the YouTube comments and I had plenty of comments and questions there as well. One would think I'd be a little bit better organized and have this up. <laughs> okay. So 51 questions here. Let's see how we do. Okay. 
HN Drums says, just out of curiosity, what is your current volume for each muscle group and what were the factors you thought about to arrive at your current volume? Okay, good question. I will say this with the proviso that what my numbers are really have very little significance for you as an individual, but I understand the curiosity, so I will answer the question. So for the majority of this year, my sets for the chest and back were about 24 each. These are direct sets. Quads and hams were getting 16 sets each. Buys, tries, and delts were also getting 16 sets. This is per week. So I would say moderate to high levels of volume. 24 sets might be a lot for some people might be thinking, whoa, but just the way it worked out. And how did I arrive at these volume totals? Essentially, what I need to do for me to progress, but also in terms of training, just being in the gym and training to be healthy as well. Training burns calories. It burns off glucose, which is very good for insulin sensitivity. As you get older, that is a prime determinant of your overall health, particularly in today's modern society. So I do train a lot because I prefer to train than anything else. I'm not really that fond of cardio, running, tennis. I have a lot of clients who play basketball, tennis. They like running, jogging, cardio, all that kind of stuff. And for them, that is, their routine and their volume is balanced within those requirements. For me though, since you've asked me this personally, my personal thing is I don't do all that kind of stuff. I don't really run anymore. So I just like to be in the gym a lot and I train a lot because it's very good for your health and training the way that I train, it's not really that much of, oh, is, there's no harm really on my joints. I just like to train and I train a lot. It's safer for me to train a lot than it is for me to go running or biking or whatever else. So I prefer to just train. So I'm in the gym six days a week and I'm trying to train. That is not my prescription for my clients. For my clients, I tailor volume to whatever is necessary for them. So I'm not a high volume guy. I'm not a low volume guy. I'm an appropriate volume guy. And I think ultimately that's where you need to be. So hopefully that was, I guess, maybe useful, but uh, that's essentially what it is. Now, I will be changing that up a little bit because I'm looking to push a bit more volume towards my arms and maybe more towards my shoulders. So it'll switch around soon, but not quite yet, but that's where I'm at. Okay. Bill Monty says, Bill was an OG subscriber and also a sport on Patreon. Thank you, Bill. Bill says on a five by five or three by five, do you recommend progression based on estimated R on the fifth set or going for sixth or even seventh rep before adding weight the next session? Thanks as always, Faz. I'll be honest, I don't really work with RAR that much. Practically speaking, I think there are a couple of ways of initiating RAR. So let's just take a step back for a second rather than RAR, because again, a lot of people get very angry about it. Let's just take a step back. What are we actually talking about? We're talking about fatigue management. We're talking about not blowing your load on every single set, just so you get it and getting injured. And also so you can do a decent amount of volume so you can actually get better gains, which is the point. So there are two ways of load management within this set and step rep structure. If you do a five by five and you're doing sets across, so it's five, 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 five. That means the first four fives, the first four sets were sub-maximal because if they were maximal, you wouldn't be able to repeat the performance a few minutes later. Are you with me so far? You would see a rep drop off. So if you're doing reps across, you are inherently managing your fatigue because you are already doing some sets which are relatively easier than the other. So we have to acknowledge that first. That is 
a way of using AR without really thinking about it. And a lot of people like don't realize they're doing that. A lot of people think they're just working really hard, but actually a very easy way to do a pretty good R approach is to just do sets across. Like if you're not very good at gauging R or if you just don't like the concept of R, then just do that, just do sets across because then it naturally falls into place. Your first set might be like a three R, second set, maybe two or three, third set, two-ish, fourth set, two to one, fifth set, probably like one to zero. And so it naturally falls like that. So that's one way of doing a five by five and just make sure you do five sets across. The other way is to use an R approach and to, that's when you normally see a rep drop off. But yeah, with the rep drop off and the R approach, I've softened on that over the years because not many people, not everyone likes using RAR, but also not everyone is very good at gauging RAR. So if you just take the focus away from the RAR and just say, look, do five by five sets across, don't worry about RAR and just work as hard as you can to get the reps. That is often a much simpler way of doing things. And for a lot of beginners, a lot of guys who aren't lifting that very much yet, it's, it takes away the focus from thinking about art to just working hard and getting the results. Cause that's more important at the end of the day, not like your own stuff. So yeah, with that, I probably wouldn't recommend you end on six to seven reps because that would mean your first four sets or your first sets are very easy. I wouldn't want you to have, I wouldn't want you to be so fresh by the end of a five by five or three by five that you can rep out on the last set. For me, the first two sets will be way too easy then. So I wouldn't want that at all. I would say your last set, you should be barely getting the five. That's what I would say. Otherwise, the first few sets, if you're getting seven and eight reps on the final set of a five by five or three by five, then your first two sets are way too easy. So no, I would recommend ending at barely a five. Your last set should be closer to failure, the closest. Okay, Cameron says, Oh, this is the same question as Cameron's asked as the, the reps that I answered earlier, the first question. Okay. Bryce Gilbert says, as someone who runs a variation of conjugate raw, do you recommend utilizing the dynamic effort method for non-powerlifters or people just lifting for general strength and hypertrophy? Bryce, I actually don't recommend the dynamic effort at all. Like I never did it. And you'll notice in my conjugate method, I prefer rep work. So no, I generally don't do the dynamic effort. When I was coming up and people were experimenting with conjugate, the dynamic effort was the main aspect of the routine that most people disagreed with. That was the one where people were like, I don't know about that. And I was never really sure about it. When I ran conjugate, I didn't really do a great deal of speed work. I did just traditional rep work. So I would recommend what I recommended in my videos, which is perhaps something like a six by six, five by five eight by 18 or even a 10 by 10, you know, that that's what I would go for. Just some repetition work. If you want to run the conjugate system, if that works for you, I just don't think the rep, the speed work is that great. I think it probably worked for Louis and his powerlifters simply because it prevented them from maxing out twice a week. You've got to remember those guys were animals. They were originally maxing out twice a week, but um, when Louis came along and said, do this, it probably worked because of what it wasn't. And that was the max effort work rather than what it was which was the speed work. Just got them to train lighter for a while and stop beating themselves up, which is probably a good thing when you're that strong. Okay, Alex of Fourhorn says, some tips for people who tend to sweat a lot during workouts would be useful. Yeah, I think the main thing is replenishing your electrolytes is probably the main thing. So if we look at the role of salt in your diet, now 
the role of salt is it's a bit tricky because you have a lot of noise in the space about people again misinterpreting the research and saying that salt is necessary and mandatory actually salt is almost unanimously associated with worse health outcomes so it, it's tricky whereas you have a lot of guys like stan efforting who are really evangelizing salt intake and uh, i forget his name now there's some other doctor something who's released a book on salt but when you look at the research it's almost unanimously associated with worse health outcomes like way worse and it's almost a linear line the more salt you have the worse your health outcomes are now the only exception to that is you can get away with higher salt intake when you sweat a lot so you can replace the salt that you sweat out and you lose most of your salt in your sweat so for you that's pretty much the main thing i would consider because after my training partner he sweats a lot as well and all i tell him is just make sure you hydrate so when you are rehydrating make sure you have some salt in it there are a number of deaths every year from high level athletes who sweat a lot and then they drink just water and they don't drink electrolytes which dilutes them even more and leads to even more problems with electrolyte hydration i think it was floyd mayweather who said once that water dehydrates you and everyone thought he was crazy but that's what he was talking about if he spends three hours on training camp and then just drinks water he's going to feel worse you need to have those electrolytes replaced so if you do sweat a lot and you're working out hard and long that's what she said then i think it's wise to replace your electrolytes okay next question bryce also says what are your thoughts on using wedding warm-ups or just circuit style gpp warm-ups prior to lifting for general conditioning injury prevention adding volume so yeah pretty standard stuff so i know that bald omniman has used this in the past as of as have i as has alex from Half destiny i know that we're all pretty fond of that because it's quite a nice way to get warmed up so i was doing this 10 15 years ago i would do about 50 hyper extensions and 50 sit-ups before every training session i think it was 50 or it was like two or three sets of 50 i forget now it was a long time ago but anyway it's a really good warm-up like if you're squatting you're deadlifting getting your core nice and you know optimized is great feels good everything just feels a bit better my knees felt better when i warmed up my midsection it's just so many benefits no i like it i think it's a good idea i don't think it's necessary for bodybuilding i i think for bodybuilding your movements should be pretty joint friendly anyway but for for specific powerlifting training yeah i think it has some application it's a great way to warm up you inherently need more warming up when you're powerlifting or if you're doing that type of approach with lots of barbell heavy movements so it's a good way to warm up it it'll probably add to that five or ten minutes of cardio you do before the session do some movement specific stuff okay next question we've got some time is for hypertrophy this is from charles sloan oh, this is a long question for hypertrophy and general strength how long should you have no weight rep increases on double progression before you switch to more complicated programming okay so he's stuck on the bench press for three by eight and he's wondering when to do more complicated programming good question i'm not sure there's ever a need charles i think for the most part you should be able to identify what's going wrong if you look at the other factors like your sleep your weight gain now if you are gaining weight steadily and you're doing enough volume and your diet is good like you're eating enough protein you're sleeping well i would be very surprised if you're not able to progress slowly on reps there's nothing particularly magical about setting rep schemes 
differently. So all these really complicated set and rep schemes where you create a peak by week 10 or by week six, the only reason why those are maybe beneficial is because they slow down progression. That's it. That's it. That's literally it. So your the program promises you progress in six weeks. So you run the program, six weeks later, you get a two and a half kilo, five pound PR. You think, great, the program worked. Now, in my experience, that's really no different from running a standard double progression. But it forces people to slow down. It forces people to moderate their expectations because if somebody's doing double progression, they're not going to be happy with five pounds over six months. Like most of the time, that's six individual training bouts if they do the same lift every week where they're not seeing progress. Most people aren't happy with that, but you put them on a program where they're promised a PR by the end of the six weeks, psychologically, it's easier to handle and it prevents them from adding weight too fast. So that's the only real advantage, which I know is a bit of a hot take, but there you go. This is what I've seen to be true. So I don't think there's that much value. You look at a guy like Freaky D, you look at his training, and a lot of time it is pretty much just sets across and handling the same loads week in, week out. And every now and again, he'll add a rep or two when things feel good. That's pretty much it. That is advanced progression. The only difference is Dennis has enough patience to actually execute that properly. And everything else he does, of course. So I would say, Charles, your issue is probably elsewhere. Either programming, sleep recovery factors, diet, something else. Okay. Now, next question, we'll do probably one more from Damon Diaz. He says, what are your thoughts on escalating density training? Sounds very complicated. Haven't had much time to train. So I've been down to two 10 minute blocks, each being a superset and progressively overloading by trying to beat my rep count within the 10 minutes. Once the rep goal is reached, I increase the weight next time. Is this a good way to train for someone with not much time? Wow, okay, okay. So he said that he trains roughly for half an hour every morning on an upper lower six day a week split. So I do have clients who train in that way. If you're watching Jonathan, hello, I do have clients who train six days a week. They normally train in the mornings before work and they're generally shorter sessions. That's fine. Your actual, that's, that's fine. Your actual rep scheme and set scheme is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's a similar answer to the previous question. There's nothing magical about that set and rep scheme. It's just a way of moderating your expectations so you're not constantly adding weight to the bar, which is a good thing. Like it's a very positive thing. It's like a rep goal system. Do 25 reps across three sets or something like that. Great. And once you've achieved that, then go up next time. I think these things are quite good, but you, you have to understand. And again, it's a bit of a hot take, but it's a true one. None of these things are that special. It's not the rep and rep, set and rep scheme that's special per se. Most of the time, all they're doing is that they're inherently moderating your expectations about how fast you can progress. But this sounds like it's pretty good. You're maintaining a good amount of volume. You're also adding weight, not every week, but every now and again, which is positive because it's very difficult to add weight every week. So I like it. Now we have loads more questions. <laughs> so there'll be a part three, maybe even a part four, but thank you for joining me on this. And likes are always appreciated. Subscribes. Quite a few of you watch my videos, you don't subscribe. Do subscribe, it helps me out quite a lot. It's good for the numbers. And uh, feel free to comment any reactions based on what I've said. Other than that, I will see you in the next video. So, peace out.